Each week on Emergency, you will hear discussions from EMTs, paramedics, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, and other healthcare professionals who are experienced providers in emergency medical care. These guests discuss their personal experiences in the world of emergency, as well as what it takes to provide care in some of the most stressful environments possible. There will also be honest conversations with people who have received emergency medical care, and they will bravely share their experiences as a patient who may have needed an emergency intervention. Expect funny, educational, and insightful conversations, which will illuminate the humanistic side of an often misrepresented profession. The Emergency Podcast is hosted by me, Samantha Barella, owner of Emerge Education Solutions, and I'm also a currently licensed paramedic. I want to give you a heads up that um, our episode today may contain some profanity language as well as some uh, gross descriptions about human anatomy and injuries and illnesses. So listener discretion is advised. Let's jump into our episode. Hey, everyone out there. It is Samantha with the Emerge and See podcast. Thank you all for listening to this episode today. I'm really, really pumped for the conversation that we're going to have. I'm actually really pumped for the guests that we have in studio today. So Daisy Graves and I go way back. Uh, Daisy and I were um, females, two of three females in our Fire Cadet Academy back in 2007. So I've known Daisy now for 13 years, and she truly is what I call, so when I explain Daisy to people, I call her the yin to my yang when it comes to paramedicine and patient care because Daisy is so good. Her bedside manner is super good and I've gotten to see her in action and I'm so excited that she's here with us today. So hey Daisy, welcome. Thank you, Sam. I'm really excited to be here, Oh, too. my gosh. I'm so excited for you to be here. Number one, because I love you, uh, but also because of the topic we're going to talk about today. And um, so everyone listening, I want you to know that I asked Daisy to come on the show and talk about this particular topic because, again, she is the yin to my yang, and um, her bedside manner is superb. And I'm actually a little bit envious of it because I just don't have it in me. Um, but I always say I could use a little bit more Daisy in my life uh, because your bedside manner is so good. Um, so Daisy's going to be talking to us today about death and how we handle death as paramedics in the field. Um, so Let's talk about you, Daisy. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> the spotlight's on you, girl. Let's right. go. <laughs> it's really bright, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's for better pictures. It's The light does something for our complexion. Excellent. So all y'all need to check us out on social media if you're wondering what we look like <laughs> and the lighting. <laughs> so um, let's talk about you, Daisy. Tell me a little bit about you as far as... Um, why you wanted to be a paramedic like why fire right like most females in the world aren't saying I'm gonna be a firefighter paramedic when I grow up like why fire that um it's a little bit of a lengthy story but I um let's see when I was in high school it started in high school I didn't know I wanted to do uh, fire and EMS for a career, but I really had a crush on a firefighter <laughs> in high school. Didn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
I've really had a crush on this guy in school, and he really captured my heart because he was so heroic in everything he did. You know, he was like, I think, one of the youngest guys in Colorado to, you know, take their EMT and their firefighter one and pass, like, as soon as you're even, or I think he passed before he even legally is allowed to enter a burning building, like, Mm -hmm. when he was 17, passed his firefighter one, and um, had his EMT and was a volunteer, you know, with his dad's service at the time. And, um, gosh, oddly enough, um, death was a theme that sort of brought me to fire and EMS from the very beginning. We had a, uh, you know, techies like theater. I was big in theater mm-hmm. when I was in high school. We had one of the little techie guys who did the lighting and sound for one of our theater productions. Mm -hmm. Um, There was an accident. He was just goofing off, flipped off a scaffolding, and uh, in one of the rehearsals, fell and hit his head. And Jay... I guess I named him. I named him Jay. <laughs> Hello, Jay. Crush. If you're listening, my love. He's still a very good, good friend to this day. Shout out to Jay and a chief of red, uh, red white, and blue um, fire in Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, so he's done very well for himself. But uh, the 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 kid died. Um, oh my gosh! But Jay Jay was like he was there, the first you know first guy to come to the rescue, and he was with um, the student until he was airlifted to an appropriate facility. And um, unfortunately, the the young boy, he died three days later, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's 20 years ago now. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, everyone just looked up to Jay for being the one who was able to, like, you know, have, you know, spring into action right in this time of an emergency and, and then, training he and had like the training had the to help training to help yeah and um people looked up to him after the fact to you know kind of like mourn with the community over the loss of of this kid and they really looked to him for for guidance in that matter you know mm-hmm. so i was always struck by that like wow like i want to i maybe want to be that person to help in those situations and then many years later probably well almost a decade later I another friend of mine passed away and before she passed away she had said to me Daisy we should try out for the fire department I'm like oh why I don't know it'll just be fun (laughs) (laughs) and you know just to see if we can do it and I was like okay yeah let's do it and we never got our chance to um try out together but after she passed away I saw a posting for Santa Fe City was hiring and so I I really was like I'm gonna I'm gonna try in her memory in right. her honor yeah yeah to go and and do this thing we said we would do together so I did I gave it my best shot and yep. I fell short yeah just a little short yes I think we can share in that experience yeah <laughs> just a little bit you know but I fell short and didn't quite make it and I cried for days mm-hmm. I, I like, remember oh my god why am I so upset and it was because I just I really really wanted to do this it was something where I really saw myself making a difference and I don't know. So I went on. I went to try again. Um, and so now that was 13 years ago. Never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I started, I guess. Yeah. And it was an awesome start. 
Well, I I loved you from the get, like from from our academy days, and then just being able to work alongside you in the academy. We were both green and didn't know anything. We none of us Nothing. knew what we were getting into, <laughs> as I think most green young professionals think that, right? You don't truly know what you're getting into. But um, I've liked you from the get. There's nothing. And I've always said, like, who could be mad at Daisy? Like, who gets mad at (laughs) Daisy? Like, that's like saying you don't like cupcakes. Like, (laughs) who doesn't like cupcakes? (laughs) So, um, but that is interesting that death is, like, kind of the common theme. Um, I wanted to to bring you on to talk about this particular topic. You, there's so many other topics you could talk about that you're really good at, but this is one area that I recognize that I am not the best in, and I've had to learn from my peers. Like I've learned from you, and I've learned from um, like Daniel Meyer. I've learned from him because his bedside manner when it comes to death is very, very top notch. And so I've learned a lot from from you guys, from my peers that I respect on how to handle these situations. And so. What I want listeners to know is I, I want to bring up this topic because it's important to me to talk about topics that impact us as human beings. Oftentimes, I think that society views our profession as a one-way street when it's really fluid and dynamic. So yes, when, when we come to your aid at your time of need, we also leave being impacted by that interaction. And so it's fluid. It's not one direction. And that's truly what I would, if I could have my public service announcement, that's what it'd be, is that it's a fluid relationship. And we are impacted as well. And because your bedside manner when it comes to this very serious topic is so superb, I really wanted you to share your experiences with us on this. Because... And to also highlight that you're a person and you're taking these experiences of death that you've encountered and they've impacted you as a person as well. So the, I'm trying to hit home this big point of like our the human side of what we're doing and that we are people too and experience um, an impact from these encounters we have. So on that note, tell me like what, how do you handle a situation where you have to declare someone deceased. Okay, and so we've already done CPR. We've declared that we're going to stop. You've called an MSEP. We've declared that this person, we're going to just call the code. How do you handle it from that point? Like it being the family, it being your partners, it being the situation overall. How, how do you approach that? What perspective do you have? Um, I guess my philosophy would be that you know, the patient that you are called upon to assist, your primary patient, is now deceased, like you said. And there's nothing more to be done um, in that regard. So at this point, your patients, patient or patients, um, now become everyone who's involved, the family, the friends that are present, um, because now they are... suffering a a traumatic loss Mm -hmm. and they're processing a really heavy time that in most cases is unexpected right um when it comes to 911 and ems so my philosophy is that your focus your shift should be 100 percent to the family members and the friends present now Mm -hmm. and managing their needs Mm -hmm. um and i don't know i've had i've had experiences in the past where like maybe other paramedics disagree that that's like not your part of your job 
right? Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they're like, oh, I don't, I mean, well, okay, you have in your career interactions with other providers where you're like, is this how it's supposed to be? Right. I remember a very distinct um, time. Do you want me to share it with you? It was, it was, yeah, a, it I was mean, a call that I was on. We'll leave, we'll leave names out though. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. It was a call that I was on with, uh, my paramedic partner at the time, I was not a paramedic. And we went to a nine echo, a cardiac arrest call. Uh-huh. And it was a, it was, it went well. The uh, resuscitation attempt went well. Um, but in the end, the patient was deceased before we got there and he remained so once we were finished. Right. So it was a big family. And for the 45 minutes that we were working on our patient, more family members arrived. Mm-hmm. I mean, there must have been a dozen and a half family members on scene by the time we were finished with our resuscitation attempt. Yes. And my paramedic partner was like, all right, well, let's go. And we packed up our stuff and I was following him. I was real new green. I didn't, I mean, what do I, what am I to say or do? Right. So I followed him out the door with an armload of equipment and Um, As I'm leaving, you know, mothers and sisters and brothers and children, uh, I mean, the guy's kids were there starting to scream and (gasps) cry in, you know, horror because their loved one had died unexpectedly. I mean, it's a natural reaction. So uh, I was shocked. What? We're just going to leave it like this? We're just going to, we're just going to walk out? Right. Like, we're done. Not our problem. And I just felt rotten. I felt really, really rotten. So as we're pulling out in the ambulance, like backing out of the driveway, all noisy, beep, beep, (laughs) no, and law enforcement's there and more people are pulling into the driveway. I just was like thinking, stop, we we have to go back and make sure that, you know, we at least said something to the family. Well, no, as soon as I thought that, um, dispatch gets on the radio and says, you know, Med 60, you need to return to your previous call, the address. There's um, law enforcement is requesting, uh, you know, a welfare check on a woman who's, you know, having a panic attack or can't breathe or whatever sure. the complaint was. Sure, sure. And I was like, ha, I knew it. I knew it. You know, our work wasn't done. So we went back into the residence and the patient's, I believe, wife was in hysterics. And, you know, hyperventilating and, of course, having all the symptoms of hyperventilation syndrome and just having a, a, a massive panic attack yeah. in light of her husband's death. And um, so I just went straight to her and coached her breathing down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when she kind of came to her senses, um, uh, some other family members were surrounding her. And I looked up at a young man who was there and I said, you know, my name's Daisy. What's your name? He told me his name. And I said, you know, who was the patient to you? And he said, my father. And I looked around and the home was full of women, mostly Uh of all ages. And, and I, I said, are are you the oldest or something? You know, I, I sort of ascertained that he was like the oldest sibling and I said to him, you're the man of the house now. Mm-hmm. And he, tears just flooded down his face, but he took a deep breath and he grabbed his mom's hand and 
and soothed her, you know, and said, yes, yes, I am the man in the house now. Like, I am going to take responsibility for my family and comfort them and right. kind of be the pillar sure, for, sure. for what needs to happen, what needs to go on. And I was like, just shook because it was like, man, it didn't take much for me to say that. Mm-hmm. But in a few words, in a few moments, I gave the family and members of the family a little next step, you know, a little boost to be able to, I don't know, give them direction for, yeah. you know, the next beat, what what needs to happen. I'm not going to bring their loved one back to life. Obviously, I failed at that, <laughs> you know, but what is or it was, that now it that I can do to to help the family go on? Yes. Just taking the next step, the next breath, you know. Right. What happens now? Right. And I was so shocked that my paramedic couldn't even, like, muster a, like, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, wow, the standard. Yeah. Cause that's, that's really just a, the standard now. I mean, if you, if you don't have any kind of natural empathy skills, mm-hmm. it never hurts to, to try and say genuinely, I'm sorry for your loss. Right. You know. One of the um, testing scenarios that we give for the incoming um, EMTs that are trying to get into the paramedic program, mm-hmm. one of them is a situation where the the son finds the dad deceased in bed. Mm-hmm. And now the task is, the situation is that the paramedic student now needs, or candidate, I guess, now needs to tell, talk to the panel as if we were the son, how would you explain uh, that? It, you know, it's not medically related. It's, right. it's affect, right? Right. So how do you now explain to this panel, how would you handle that situation, which is a very real situation that all paramedics encounter. And mm-hmm. so I really love that scenario, and, and it really sets up for me a kind of a glimpse into that person's um, – empathetic level like where they're at with empathy Mm -hmm. and you're right most people say I'm really sorry for your loss uh and then the other thing is I hear is I'm really sorry for your loss and uh you know there's nothing else we can do for your loved one right uh we can call a counselor for you that's what I get a lot too uh that's what I hear a lot is we can call a counselor for you a, a, a grief counselor a pastor um, and, and law enforcement's going to be on scene. And that's pretty much the end of it. And so what that tells me, as the person running the paramedic program, what that tells me is that I need to do a better job of training people who are going to be paramedics in this role because these individual candidates have learned th- or maybe didn't learn from their current paramedic partner. Yeah. So, so on a higher level, it's not really being handled to the best way that maybe it should be or the, or the most empathetic way that it should be. And so I look at it as like it's not just the deficiency of that particular candidate, but maybe a system-wide deficiency. Exactly. And death notification training is horribly lacking in EMS. Right. Um, and I can imagine in any medical educational program, Death note. I, I don't know. I was reading an article on death notification training, and it's just like the stat was pretty abysmal. Was less than twenty percent feel they've been adequately trained in death notification, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's something that we absolutely will encounter in our career, and we are given um, the opportunity to to do a really good 
job with that death notification because actually quite often this is a part of our job. Right. I mean, out of all of the EMS, I mean, not EMS providers, what am I trying to say, healthcare providers? Uh-huh. Like, we in our field, pre-hospital, we are the ones to most likely be with the patient's family in that first moment right. of them learning their loved one has passed away. Right. Yeah. And and I think that, like, if you look at healthcare overall, maybe there's a couple of parts of, of healthcare that see death more than we do, like hospice. Mm-hmm. Um or, and maybe even, like, assisted living places. Sure, they, they sure. I guess unexpected death. Right, right, I right. I would be, like... But but dead. here's my thing, is what I was yeah. going to say, is that I think that we see it more than even, like, the ER. So, like, oh, yeah. most of the time it's a physician. In, in, a, in a controlled setting, like a hospital setting, most of the time the physician is talking to the family. Right. And while they may or may not suck at giving this <laughs> news... <laughs> um, I think that we probably see it more than they do. Like, we have the opportunity to handle these situations more frequently than in in hospital, like, nurses and stuff like respiratory therapists, stuff like that. Right. So it is, I agree with you, it is an area. And that's also why I wanted to talk to you about it, because I do want to, again, plant the seed for list, people listening of, like, this is a reality for us, and we deal with a lot of death. And so how has, how has your experiences in death impacted you do you think like how has it changed you as a person um I know it's gonna sound a little weird but I'm really thankful to my experiences with death incredibly thankful that I've had the experiences that I have when it comes to in my personal life but very much my day-to-day in my job my career Mm -hmm. in EMS it has made me a more thoughtful person uh, a happier person, um, someone who uh, takes life for granted a lot mm-hmm. less. I mean, like, I, I I, do not, I'm just more present. Right. Um, and so in EMS, for instance, let's see. When I first started working for the county, I remember, <laughs> I remember having a, pretty traumatic car accident where a young woman had died on scene and it was exciting you know because you're in in the field and you're learning new things and yet tragic Mm -hmm. for the end of her life but I remember feeling flooded with endorphins and adrenaline afterwards because I was like wow you know life's short the girl who had died was my age and I called my mom and I was like mom I just can't tell you enough, like, how much I love my new job. (gasps) And in horror, as I describe these events, in horror, she says to me, I cannot believe you're dealing with this. (laughs) I know it's not funny, but the way you said it cracked me up. Well, you know, I mean, she's, like, horrified. She was, like, appalled that you would choose to do this as a profession and, like, expose yourself to these horrors. She's, like, appalled. And she was, like, I just, oh, I can't even. I can't. And I was like, no, you don't understand, Mom. Every time I see someone die or I'm present for their death, um, I feel like that much more grateful Mm -hmm. for everything I have. You know, we see people from very atrocious walks of, you know, walks of life where they're living in horrible conditions Mm -hmm. or they're, you know, stuck in abusive relationships or they're, 
you know, so unfortunate is to, you know, have these chronic medical conditions right. that inhibit their way of life on a daily basis. It's like a constant struggle. So there's that gratitude that I feel. But when, when someone passes, you know, it reminds me that life is finite. And I really started having an understanding, a really deep understanding that it's like that saying, like, there is no good, like what it, what is good without evil. Uh huh. You know, the, the opposite defines the positive. Right, right. Death provides that finite finality to life. And when mm-hmm. you see death up close and you, you know, you get comfortable with it and you don't forget about it, you don't neglect it, you can remember how precious life is right. every day. Some of the calls that I've been on, um, I feel like those, the, the calls where I've declared someone deceased and left them, mm-hmm. ironically, this is going to sound really weird, but ironically enough, those are the calls, looking back, some of the calls I'm most proud of, mm-hmm. like some of the calls I'm most proud of myself on, mm-hmm. because I have had the opportunity to be there when someone's passing or when they just passed, and I've had the opportunity to be that, to, to, I guess, infuse that really sad situation for the people who are left behind. I've had the opportunity to infuse some, some light, some love to them, like some, some, um, I don't know, like hugs kind of like to try to make that transition as smooth as possible. Cause like the situation you were describing is really traumatic to handle it like that. Like people are incredibly vulnerable in that moment mm-hmm. when you come out. And so, so what those I, are some of the best thankful thank yous I've ever received well, were when you were able to not so much do the best, you know, or you weren't able to keep them alive do, or get them to be alive. Have again. any miracles happen for yeah. your patient, but you those were the best thank yous that I've gotten from family members that were bereaved that, you know, one woman said to me after her husband, you know, had died, I'm just so thankful that you are here today. Mm-hmm. And in that moment where you've lost your loved one of 35 years and you say that to a total stranger, like, that was huge. I, yeah. And, the, and those are the things you. that take, you take away that impact you as a person, right? And keep you going. Um, one of the techniques that I've done, mm-hmm. um, and this was just based on my observations, was if I'm working in active code, I will, you know, get ACLS started and get things moving and rolling. And and, and if it's just Sicily and we're just doing epi and ventilations and compressions, right, then I'm just like preparing, running through my H's and T's. And once I know that we're probably going to call this, what I'll do is I will step out and I will talk to the family. But that first, that first first encounter you have with that family when you first step out of the situation to talk to them they immediately think you're going to tell them well we your your loved one has died right because you can see it on their faces they're just like prepared for Mm -hmm. the bad news but I try to ease them into it rather than hitting them with like a, a bomb right I try to like ease into it a little bit and I'll say so this is the situation this is what we've done this is what we're currently doing Um, And so I'll just kind of like let them know where we're at to kind of like soften the blow, I guess, because I know what the outcome is going to be by that point. Sure. But then I just continue and then I'll go back in the room and I'll say, okay, guys, where are we at? Reassess the situation if I know 
we need to call it. I'll step out. I'll tell them, give them another update. We've done da 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 da. At this point, I don't think there's anything that's going to um, bring your loved one back. Right. Um, but what I want to do just to make sure, you know, to, to just do everything we possibly can is I'm going to call a doctor and I'm going to talk with the situation with a doctor at the hospital and then I'll, I'll let me step out and do that and then I'll update you. And so then I'll step out, get my MSEP to stop compressions, right? right? And call the code and then I'll come in and I'll say, I'll go into the room first before I address the family and then I'll go and um, tell the crew and everybody this is what's happening. You guys keep doing BLS and um, the family, I'm gonna see if they wanna come in and say goodbye. And so then I'll go out and I'll say, this is the situation, doctor agrees, there's nothing more we can do. We are going to stop our efforts, but before we do, I just wanna invite you to come in and say goodbye to your family member. Sam, I don't know what so. you're talking about. You're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't have as good a bedside well, manner as you. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's but good. I've I've learned how to do that. I didn't know how to do that initially, yes. right? I, I wasn't ever taught this is what you do. This is just how I've evolved from my experiences of having to be in these situations. So now that you know how I deal with it, tell me how you deal with it because it's probably so much better than my way. No, not at all. Very similarly, I think that families and uh, friends who are present, so they they get value out of um, being keeping abreast of the happening, the goings-ons of the resuscitation. Mm -hmm. They appreciate that information. Mm -hmm. um, it, I don't, I, I mean, I can't ever actually imagine what it feels like myself, you know, because of my education and I know what is going on. So if, if it were a family member of mine, like I would already know what they're doing. Right. But what does that feel like? I can only imagine it offers, you know, some level of, you know, let's stay in the moment. Let's, you know, we're in our surroundings. We're staying grounded, mm -hmm. you know, so we can kind of keep a grip on the situation. Uh, they appreciate that so much. And I find it often is really all that's needed to help them start processing right. what's happening. Right. And uh, I do it very similarly. I, I would call the doctor um, before I call the end of the resuscitation attempt, yep. um, let them know everything we've been doing. Uh, and I even tell the doctor, Hey, the, you know, the family's here and, um, and before I call the end, I, after I hang up from the doctor, I, I talk to the family again, mm -hmm. whoever I've been keeping in closer contact with. Right. And I say, this is what's happened. You know, this is what I've talked to the doctor, and he's suggested we we stop. Sometimes I'll offer, hey, I I'll keep going, I'll keep going, but I want you to know your your person's Ooh. not going to survive. That's good. Yeah. Why do you offer? Like, what does that do? What do you think that does for them that you offer? Like, um, I think people really want to know in their hearts that everything gotcha has been done. Okay, okay. and they want to they want to feel that on some level um and and maybe like including them right so like it it yeah including them in, in that the decision, decision making yeah. process mm -hmm. for sure that's mm -hmm. really smart it's it's true it 
it kind of, but you know, it's not the same every time. Right. You know, depending on the family's disposition, Mm -hmm. like I'm going to treat people differently. Yes. Yeah. And I just try and circumstances. Right. The circumstances. Because if it's a, if it's a potential crime scene, I'm not going to invite the family in to damage. Right. So it's like, it's circumstantial on how you're going to handle it. And so I'm just thinking like the general, you found grandpa. Yeah. Without overstepping bounds, I'm going to do what I think might bring the family comfort. Exactly. You know, one family mentioned to me their uh, religious preferences and that they wanted to move the body. Um, As I was telling them, you know, I was giving them death notification. They wanted to move the body and prepare him for his passage and pray over him. And I explained that that wouldn't be possible because of our laws and the protocols for unattended death. Mm -hmm. But um, so law enforcement wouldn't allow it. But um, I was like, what if we get, you know, blankets and pillows that, you know, you were going to use and, and, and cover him here, right? you know, so that he can be comfortable and at rest here. Right. And the family was like, yes. And that was a definitive action that they could take that could help them process, but also, you know, honoring the patient's wishes right. and the family's wishes. And the beliefs, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as you're talking, I was thinking about, um, like I've found on scene. So this is also a scene management call. As Mm -hmm. you've described, there's just, depending on where you're at and where this situation is happening, there are a lot of people that can be on scene. And so I've found most of the time people get out of our way. We show up and they move back because they're like, they got to get into work. And if you have like someone who's really emotional and attached, physically attached to that person, Mm -hmm. usually their family comes along and says, we got to, come on, let's move out of the way. Let's let them do their thing. Come on, let's let them help him, you know? Um, But I have found that sometimes trying to get those people out also hinders our work. And so I put them to work. I call it putting them to work. But I'll be like, I'll spike a bag, right? And then I'll say, hold this IV bag or hold whatever, right? And, and it may be something that I'm not even going to use. or But I think, like, getting – they feel like they're helping the situation just by holding an IV bag, right? Oh, yeah. So, so getting them involved. So I think having to make that decision, are they in your way and you need them out? Or is that causing more drama and prohibiting you from really focusing on your ACLS – might as well just get them to do something for you, right? Right. Keep their hands busy, you know, especially right. if they want to be, like, on top of the patient. Yeah. You know, you can say, hold their foot. Right. I mean, get creative. Yeah. But if it's if it's going to be helpful, you know, yeah. And then, and then that transition, that talk, seems to go smoother, too, because you had – they were there, and they felt like they contributed to trying to get their loved one back, right? So – that transition and that talk that you do eventually have, um, I think, goes a lot better if you can't. I think it's just, like, deciding who should be there and who should go. Like, what's the best? And it's all situational dependent. So it's n- every day is a new day. Yeah. We say. <laughs> <laughs> no calls ever the same. Never the same. Um, share with us, do you have, like, one situation that really stands out to you when it comes to this topic of, like, there was this, because even as I'm talking to you, I think of my own experiences, but like, do you have an experience that really like impacted you and changed either your medicine, 
your perspective, changed you as a person, but something that really just stuck with you that you really hold close to your heart when it comes to a dying patient? Um, yeah. I mean, when I, when it was the first year I was working, I had a call with my partner who I thought was a god. And he is. He is a god. <laughs> a very god. It's like you never forget your first paramedic partner that was, like, good. Yes. Like a ninja and, like, yeah. good to you also. Um, he, um, he, we went to an assisted living care facility. And we picked up a patient who, frail little, little old lady who was beloved by the little, you know, the assisted living workers. And mm-hmm. they said, she's not doing too hot. We, you know, we want you to transport her. Here's the doctor's order to transport. And um, so it would seem pretty simple, you know. So we got her in the back of the ambulance and my partner was like, okay, you're taking it, you know. And she was, she was down. She was like, she was kind of unresponsive. I mean, but breathing with a pulse yeah she was alive I, really but know what was, I didn't know what was going on at the time except that she's really um old and um so he put me in the back and started driving and and I said something you know that must have highlighted the fact that I wasn't quite sure like uh, uh and my partner said Daisy and kind of yelled back at me he was like she's not gonna die <gasps> Like yelled it. Yeah. I mean, she she was she was pretty down, um, and I was like, okay, well, okay. I don't want to be so nervous sure? about. Are you sure? So I carried on, and <laughs> and you know, it wasn't too long of a transport. Like what, seventeen minutes? And and uh, midway, you know, I'm checking her vitals again, and I'm like, gosh, she's Brady and down. And I was like, hey man, you know, her pulse is dropping. It's dropping. And I was like, it's it's fifty eight now. 52 and I like you know minutes would go on and I'd see that I saw the patient like slowly Brady down and um <laughs> and uh I I was really freaking out at this point and we we're like beep beep backing up into the into the ambulance bay and yeah. she f- codes <gasps> like Doo. she Brady'd 40 right you're all, it's zero now man it's zero, it's zero. <laughs> And he sighs and huffs, and he swings the back of the door open. And he was like, well, okay. You know, she had a DNR. We, ha- we had her paperwork. Everything was like, she because she came from the assisted living facility. Right. It was all in order. And her DNR was present. And so I'm, like, freaking out at this point. My partner is, like, nonchalant. And this woman has just taken her last breath. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so we go into the back of the ER, and and uh, he explains, yeah, she she coded right as we rolled in, and here she is, you know, here's her DNR. And the doc was like, okay, great, wheeled her into a room and covered her with a blanket. There was no ado. But um, in it the was back, all very routine. It was very routine. Yeah. I was freaking out. I was like, oh my god! But he said she wasn't gonna die, <laughs> right? And. Um, and I talking to him on the way out, he he clarified. He said, no, I said, she's definitely going to die. <laughs> Did you tell him, like, no, that's not what that's you said? That's not what I heard. I heard she's not going to die. And he had said, she's, she's definitely, definitely going to die. die. Okay. And <laughs> anyways, 
that was the funny haha part of the story. Like he knew all along that she this was the end for her. And he put me in the back and from that 17 minutes, what I got to do with that patient is spend her last breaths with her. She didn't die alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was sitting there by her side, like, you know, in my fashion, like, Mrs. Jones, like, are, I know you can hear me. Like, yes. are you okay? And are this, you warm? This I, is <laughs> why I love you and why I love your yin to my yang. Like, tell me what you would, what you said to her. Like, tell us how you... I handled just, her. Well, even though she was un, mostly unresponsive, you know, I, I still assume, I always assume that a patient can hear you, mm-hmm. can sense you. You you do not want to be the ass in that assumption if you do not, right. you know, assume that this person can hear you. Right. Um, so I, I just have respect for human beings in that way from the get-go, and I'm going to treat them kindly and compassionately. So, you know, I would hold her hand and yep. and... As I'm feeling for a pulse, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm all goo, but I, <laughs> I, I, uh, There's you know, some professionalism co- here. Yeah, keep her covered with a blanket, and I, and I wasn't going into a deep conversation, but well, yeah. I remember looking at her intently, like, and when I reviewed the the passing of time, it, when I learned what my partner had really said, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I'm so honored that I spent those last moments just being with this woman and I imagined her whole life and you know she was uh, someone's daughter for sure if not a mother and a wife and had a rich and full life and here she is at this assisted living facility and these are her last moments and I was given the honor Mm -hmm. of being present for her last few breaths right and even though, even if she didn't know that I was in the ambulance with her, it was another human being being with another human being at one of, you know, a, a big event. Right. The the last event of that person's life. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, is a huge honor. I think so, too. I don't, you know, I we've talked about um, the No One Dies Alone program. We, yes. We've had discussions about that, which I think... It's a really awesome program, and I don't know where it's offered, but I wish that every hospital would offer it. Um, yes. So if no one, if you guys don't know what it is, who, those of you that are listening, if you just Google it, no one dies alone, um, you'll find the program itself. Local um, programs are usually in, in action. Um, I think I was telling you this morning, though, because of COVID, like a lot of them are. Yes, people paused. are dying alone is what we're saying. Um, but but alone. it's just like it's a group of – it's for volunteers, and you just go in and you sit bedside on somebody that's been declared terminal that, that is going to pass at any moment, and you're just there with them so that when that time does happen, they're not by themselves. And there's something to be said about dying alone versus – you know, none of us are born alone, mm-hmm. Right. You, right. It's your mom birthing you, so you're not alone. No. But, so no one should have to die alone either. Oh, and that's and very if important. you know those situations are going to happen when they're unexpected and it just happens. But um, I think if we as a society can do a better job of anticipating those that may, mm-hmm. and then making sure they're not alone when that time comes. Yes, it's really good. So, yeah. um, you're looking into that program, right? You you plan to do a little work with that after you you actually told me about it, and uh, as soon as they're up and running, you know, again, uh, in spite of COVID, like yeah, yeah, I would uh, love to I, do oh, that too. I would love to do that because it's, I'm I'm suited for it. I can oh, go and sit quietly with someone who 
just would otherwise be alone. I yeah, think, for sure. Well, and I think that it would. It's like I I I agree with you. I think people can hear, and so correct me if I'm wrong. If I could psychoanalyze you for a minute, yeah. I charge sixty dollars an hour, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I could psychoanalyze you for a minute, it would just be like. I could see you learning about this person from either the nurse or the family members and, and learning about them and then talking to them. I could totally see you like, you were an amazing artist. I saw your work. Your your daughter showed me your art, and you were amazing. I could totally see you doing stuff like that. For And what an awesome way to go. Like, what an awesome way to have somebody who's, like, telling you good things and lifting you up in your last breaths, right? Right. About the life you lived. Right. And and there's something to be said for that. Also, like learning about just a little bit about your patients that die. Death can be very stressful for the provider. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you might not know how to process it either. Like we see people screaming and crying and, and on a very traumatic day of their lives. And that we soak it up like a sponge. Mm -hmm. And if you don't prop properly process those conditions, those conditions that we work in, yeah. you know, that stress can become chronic because we're going to be faced with it on a daily basis. So if you can appreciate those kind of things about your patient and understand that, you know, life is full and rich and wonderful and I, I don't know, it, it does something for me. It helps me deal with death. Everybody has a story, right? Right. And so every human being has a story of how they live their life, whether that life that they lived was fruitful or whether it was, you know, dark um, and poor choices due to terrible things that maybe happened to them or whatever the situation. Everybody has a story nonetheless, mm -hmm. right? And, man, I would love to get people, like, who have had to call 911 for the loved one. I would love to, like have a room full of those people and be like, share your experience of what dealing with EMS in that time was like. Share your experience, right. and then we can, like, compare and contrast stories. How cool would that be? Oh, wow. uh, so anyone listening, right. if you have a story to share, email me. Yes. EmergeEducationSolutions.com. Or at gmail.com. Negative, <laughs> negative or positive, you know, just so yeah. we can learn and grow. Yeah, totally. Uh, EmergeEducationSolutions at gmail.com if you have a story. Okay. So I think we're getting to the end of our show here. Um, and I always end the show. That was so fast. It goes by so fast. It does go by fast. Um, so I always end the show with three questions, as you know, because I know you're a dedicated listener. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, are you ready for the first question? Shoot. If you could host a public safety announcement and bring awareness to something, what would it be? Uh, public safety? Public safety? Let's see. It could uh, be, we'll say public safety or public service announcements. Okay. Yeah. Uh, don't, let's see. Don't fear death. It is an event that defines life in its finality. Um, respect death. I think it helps you uh, live in the present moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but also don't tempt death. Ooh. Uh, and do stupid things like those stupid human tricks. Wear your seatbelt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wear your seatbelt. Wear on. your seatbelt. And a bike helmet. That's that one too. <laughs> okay. Okay, ready for the second one? Yes. What is one thing you would want to share with younger people who desire to get into this profession? Um, you know, I think... 
think initially what draws people to the profession is the idea of grandeur. We're going to be heroes. We are going to be saving lives. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, everyone's like, no, not like TV, right? We've all seen those horrible shows. But, um, you know, secretly, they want it to feel like they're on TV. And, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're all guilty of it at some point. Like, totally. You know, this this idea of grandeur. But um, that's not the way it is on a day-to-day basis. It is not glamorous at all. Um, we are in the business of customer service and our skills that will serve us for the long term that need to be um, developed either through your own work because training is lacking um, or you know, observing paramedics and other providers that you look up to or looking in internally, but caring, compassion, empathy, um, communication skills, you know, those, those kinds of skills are the ones that will serve you for the long term. And mm-hmm. so if you develop those at a young age, you'll be better off um, in the long term carrying out your day to day because that's where I think a lot of the heavy hitting happens, right? Yeah, I mean, and you're right, for the longevity of the profession. Mm -hmm. If you're into it for the ego and you think that there's going to be cameras flashing and people wanting your autograph, well, you're kidding yourself (laughs) because nobody cares. (laughs) So, (laughs) Literally nobody. Yes. (laughs) Except your patient's family and friends. And they will remember you. They will remember. But I promise you they're not going to want to take a selfie with you and they're not going to ask you for your autograph. No, no. That's not how it rolls. But they will remember... um, if you didn't, you know, if you... They'll remember if you were an asshole. If you were an asshole. Thank you for saying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, girl. I got you right here. Right here. <laughs> okay. Last question. Ready? Yeah. In one word, describe your experience in EMS. My experience? In one word. If you could pick one word, what would it... To describe it, what would it be? I mean... I don't know if it's been said yet. I haven't listened to all the episodes. It's, there were some yours. good ones, though, and I was like, damn, they took my word. <laughs> um, can I use the word, like, uh, what have we said before in that woman's last moments that I learned early on, like, an honor? Mm-hmm. Just. I don't think honor- an honor's been used. Honorable. Honor. Honor. It is an honor. Yeah. For it sure. is an honor, and it's, it's honorable. It is honorable, um, yeah. but it is an honor. Even even if you're there, you know, holding someone's puke bucket, it's an honor to be the one that gives care and compassion in people's miserable moments. Totally, totally cool, sweet. Thank you, thank you everybody for listening, Daisy. Thank you so much for being here. It's been so much fun. I know the topic isn't like the funnest of topics, but I do think it's an important topic that deserves some time and, and some highlight and some discussion because we're all headed there. Each one of us, all y'all listening, me, Daisy, everyone is going to be dying at some point. So it's definitely a, a, truly a, the only fact of life. Right. Not taxes. Taxes you can get away with not paying. We know this. <laughs> Death is coming for us all. Yes. 
And so I do think it deserves some time. And I think you were the perfect person to talk about it because you are so great at what you do. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you and love you so much. And thank you all the listeners out there um, for listening to the show. Um, For more information about this, please visit www.emergeeducationsolutions.com. Thanks, girl. Thank you, Sam. Till next time. Thank you, everyone listening. And stay safe. Bye.